Gentlemen, this is Down to the Wire. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. As you know, you can call us at 631-965-4990. And you can follow us by going to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. And guys, now we have an app. Well, how do you find it? All you have to do is go on the iOS and go in the iOS store and find us at WWSRN. Again, it's WWSRN. And if you want to find us on Android, all you have to do is put in Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And you can find us on the Android as well. Speedy, what's going on? We have a great show today. Yes, we do. And we have somebody that you've been looking to get on the show for a very, very long time. You finally got her on the show. We're going to have Cynthia Freeland. Uh, and if you guys don't know who she is, she's an analyst right now with the NFL Network. We're going to talk NFL Draft with her. And we're going to be talking to her in probably in the next 10 minutes. So we're going to get her on the show. So stay tuned for that. And then we have uh, a, f- a very well-known photographer and ex-reporter, um, Dan Dan Carubia. Carubia. And he's actually a guy that uh, has been around for very, very, for a very, very long time. Uh, he was there for the the Mets winning the World Series in 1969. He was there also Muhammad Ali and the time of Muhammad Ali and all all the different years and decades that have gone by. Miracle on Ice. Miracle on Ice. I mean, he's been around for everything and all the great things that we saw in United States history, but. Before we get we get in with uh, NFL Network and Cynthia Freeland, I, I want to get into the New York Jets. And today it came out that the New York Jets signed uh, a veteran running back that everybody has watched over the last, I, w- I would say, about Since last... 2005. <laughs> it's been a long that's, time. That's when he was drafted. Fourth it's, round, I think It's it been about 16 years for this player, and, and you guys know who I'm talking about. And I, I know a lot of people... Are probably attacking the Jets with this this signing. And why don't you tell them who who they are? Frank Gore. Frank Gore. The uh, the ageless wonder. Frank Gore, who had a good season last year. He did have a very good season with Buffalo last year. And he had a good season the last time he played with Adam Gase. I think it was 2017. In Miami. In 2017, yeah. In Miami when he took over for Kenyon Drake when Kenyon Drake had some injury issues. And uh, the Jets brought in LaMichael Perrinin. Perrinin. Perrinin, whatever his name is. Perrinin. I call him Perrinin. Or Perrinin. Or Perrinin. They brought in this kid who is a power running back from Florida, the Gators, and his style of game is really, you can actually compare his style of game to Frank Gore. So I believe they brought in Frank Gore to help this kid develop as an NFL running back because 
I also believe that this might be the last year Le'Veon Bell will be a running back for the New York Jets. Well, I don't know if because it's a one-year deal how much that would affect in terms of Le'Veon Bell versus Frank Gore on a one-year deal. I think he's really just there for... No, I'm, ju- I'm not talking about... Guy. I'm talking about Le'Veon Bell will not be on the team next year. They're going to cancel out his contract. And that's why they brought Michael Pirine in because they right. believe that he's going to be their number one guy. Mm-hmm. So... That means Le'Veon Bell is probably going to be hitting the road, Jack, after this year because they're not going to be paying $11 million a year. They're just not. The Jets will not do that, and I don't see Joe Douglas doing that. Now, the question forward. is, though, are they going to get any good value for it because there's not a lot of teams that need running backs either, and as you see with the way this They'll draft They'll get a third-round draft pick for him. If he has a good season, they'll probably get a third or maybe a late second. Yeah, again, it's, you're going to need to really hope that those circumstances happen because the running back market isn't – there's not a lot of teams that need them right now between this draft, which had a lot of them, and also, again, a lot of young running backs that have come out in previous drafts. Look at 2017. There's a lot of great young running backs. 2018, obviously, the stars are there uh, with certain guys, but a lot of good running backs are coming out now, and again, the position isn't as valued in terms of paying guys either, and if you look at the recent big contracts given out to running backs with David Johnson, with Todd Gurley, and with Devontae Freeman, none of them lasted long, so it'll be hard for them to get something based on the track record. I have nothing against Frank Gore, and I think Frank Gore has been a Hall of Fame running back, and when we talk about Terrell Davis or one of these running backs that made it to the Hall of Fame that shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame— this guy belongs in the Hall of Fame. 16 years of NFL football. He's been at the, the top of the running game as far as I'm concerned for the last, well, the last five years, no. But before that, he was one of the top running backs, top 10 running backs in a league for almost 10 or 11 years. Right. Consistently top 10, I would say. Some years top five. I don't know if he was ever the best one at any point in time, but he definitely was top five for some of them. And for a position that has the least, I guess, longevity in the league because it is so injury prone. And again, 37 years old and he's still in the him, NFL. Him being able to ha- just be efficient this late in his career his is impressive playing, in itself. His son's going to be playing college ball this yep. year. Uh-huh. I saw that. Frank Gore Jr. <laughs> yep. So he, he might actually have a chance to play with his son. That's the truth. He's got he's to grind out three more years. It, so it's we'll incredible. It's absolutely incredible what this guy has done in the NFL as a running back, as a star running back, and one of the greatest running backs to ever play the game. One mm-hmm. of the, I would say one of the top six or seven running backs to ever play the game. I know he's numbers will tell he's you that. third all time in rushing right now, and I think in terms of all purpose yards, I want to say he's eighth, but I'm not sure off the top of my head. He's right there. I think he's top ten though for sure. He's right there as one of the best running backs to ever play. And now, now you're putting him on a team that has Le'Veon Bell there, and he has the, this kid. Pirine, who a lot of people like, who mm-hmm. could be the power back and the number one back in the future for the New York Jets. But they bring this guy in, I believe, to help because I don't believe Le'Veon Bell is a teacher. He's not going to be there sitting with this kid and trying to get this kid moving in the right direction because obviously Le'Veon Bell is going to believe that this kid is going to take his job. Well, not only that, I think Bell also, in a sense, has to prove himself, too. Now, obviously, there are other circumstances. I say it all the time. Last year was a rusty year for him. The offensive line stunk and last also, year. And also that. So Now they have a rebuilt offensive line. He's going to have even a better year with that offensive so, line. So, again, you would... You would think if you're Le'Veon Bell, you should be trying to focus on your own game right now and trying to make sure that contract is worth it for the Jets and make sure that you can revitalize your game. Because, again, like I said 
just about two or three minutes ago, the running back market is getting thin where you're not going to get as valued anymore. This is the big contract to prove yourself on. And if you want to rebirth your career, essentially, which again, it's only two years, so you didn't really have to rebirth anything. But if you want to try to get back into that kind of form, you're going to have to prove it on this Jets team. So if he's mentoring somebody else, that could lose some focus on his own game. The question is, why do the Jets want three running backs on this team? Now, they need playmakers. We all know that. And they, they made some moves at the draft. They brought in Mims, who is going to be an explosive wide receiver on the outside for them. And maybe even on the inside, they, they can move him with his speed in the slot as well. So him and Jamison Crowder, they can use two slot wide receivers and use them in slant, slant packages. So right. uh, to me... They are going to be explosive and very fast on the outside, the Jets. On the inside, you're bringing in a 37-year-old running back who's powerful, who had a decent year last year with Singletary, Mm -hmm. who I think he had, if I'm not mistaken, 500 yards, 500 or 600 yards. Yeah, if Singletary started more right away, he probably would have been in the rookie of the year conversation when you look at offensive players. But he was one of the best running backs in the second half of the season. And Gore was, again, the one mentoring him. And despite being very different types of running backs, it had a big effect on Singletary. I was very, very impressed with Frank Gore and helping Buffalo develop their running backs. And I think the the Jets right now, they need to bring in somebody in that room that's going to help this kid because Le'Veon Bell is not going to be the guy that's going to do that. He is not the teacher. He still believes he has years left in the NFL, especially missing almost a year and a half because he decided to sit out like an idiot and not make the $15 million that Pittsburgh was offering him. And he's more he's mad at the Steelers than anything And else. he's trying to – I don't know if he's that mad because he wanted to go back to the Pittsburgh Steelers this offseason. I, 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 I do believe petty. that. I think he was just being petty. I, I do not. I, I, I really do believe that – the Jets were looking to trade Le'Veon Bell this offseason. They couldn't find any buyers, but one of the teams that has come out and said that would be, they would be interested in Le'Veon Bell is the Pittsburgh Steelers. So yeah, they might be interested in him. I don't know if he was necessarily interested in them, though, because, again, he was kind of being selected. He doesn't have a no-trade clause, so who cares? No, but I think, I think he also just said, oh, Pittsburgh, they want me back. Pittsburgh, they want me back. And I, I don't know if I necessarily believe that. I think he was just trying to take shots at the Steelers for letting him go. It's my argument isn't that Le'Veon Bell wasn't upset that Pittsburgh let him go. I I know he was upset that Pittsburgh let him go. He wanted Stingy to be front office. He grew up a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. He also grew up a Jet fan because he was a big Curtis Martin fan. Right. So and he said his family were Steeler fans and he was a Jet fan because he loved Curtis Martin. Curtis Martin came from the same place he did in Pittsburgh, and he worshipped Curtis Martin. But again, Le'Veon Bell is not going to sit on the bench and help this kid, LaMichael uh, Perrine. Perrine. Whatever. Perrine, Perrine, actually learn the running back position. I think Frank Gore will. Frank Gore Gore will sit there. He'll work with him. And and they're very similar in styles of running. They're downhill runners. And that's what this kid, LaMichael, is. Right. And even Gore in his prime was also decent outside as a power runner, kind of like what you're seeing with Derrick Henry now. And again, his secondary moves are very similar to what P. Ryan had in college when, again, Frank Gore was on that Miami team and early in his career with the Niners. So it's definitely very similar in terms of that track record, too, in addition to the style of runner. So 
the Jets add a running back, another player that could be used in this offense, this crazy offense that we don't even know what this offense is going to lead to. <laughs> because Adam Gase, who is the offensive guru, and we've heard this over and over again. I'm a Jet fan, and I've been hearing this since day one. This guy's a guru, and he's going to help the quarterback develop. He's Sam a guru Donald. because of one great season with the Broncos, yes. Well, again, he also had a good season with Kurt, uh, Jay Cutler. With, with Chicago, yes. yes. Which I, don't, I, I agree with you on that. I think that was actually more of his best season, but still, it's phasey throughout his career is my point. <laughs> uh, to me, I'm looking forward to seeing what the Jets are going to do with the running back position. Is LaMichael Piron going to make the running back position this year? They could move him to special teams and let him sit on the bench and learn the position under Frank Gore and Le'Veon Bell. I don't know what Gase, but I, I can tell you this right now. Why would they be holding three running backs? Because they need explosive wide receivers. They're going to need more wide receivers in this style of offense that he wants to play, a fast offense. And I, if you listen to what Adam Gase said after the draft, he wants this offense to be faster, more speed. That means more wide receivers, more weapons on the outside. Because if you're looking at Frank Gore, who's a 37-year-old old man, and LaMichael Perrine, who everybody says is a down, downhill runner. He right. is not a speedy runner. He's, he, they say his speed, he has a lot more speed than he looks. But, again, he's not expected right. to be the fast guy. And Le'Veon Bell is that guy that is going to be used on the inside and the out as a wide receiver and, and, and use him as cross right. patterns in their offense. Right. I so, think that's why the biggest reason they did it is mainly because Perrine – because of his injury status and just being a younger running back, does he have the stamina to be an every down back? And that allows Bell to spread out more as a wide receiver, which if you remember his rookie year with the Steelers, he led the, he was second on the team in receiving yards after Antonio Brown. Six three one nine six five four nine nine zero. Up next, the great Cynthia Freeland from the NFL Network Analyst. She will be on with us, and we're going to talk NFL draft with her here on Down to the Wire. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, 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 you're listening, listening to Down, Down to, to the, the Wire on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Six three one nine six five four nine nine zero is the number to call. As you guys know, this is Down to the Wire. We are live every single Monday and Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're here live in New York. I hope everybody is doing well. Staying home six feet from everybody if you're going out in public, as we all know. And I was just talking to somebody on the phone right now, talking about uh, what's going on in the world and what's going on in her life. And we're going to be talking to NFL analyst Cynthia Freeland. What's up, Cynthia? How you doing? We are good. How are you? You know, keeping it healthy and trying to stay busy. We have a schedule release this week, so very exciting stuff coming up here on Thursday. Oh, well. Well, we, we can only hope that NFL is coming back, the NFL is coming back, the NBA, the MLB, because to me, we're sweating trying to talk about things that don't exist right now. We're trying to find stories to talk about. I enjoy it now because I feel like hopefully I'm going to stay positive and say this fall you're going to be super busy with just tons of things to talk about. There you go. Hopefully, Cynthia is our guru. So, Cynthia, what player in this year's NFL draft do you think 
draft stock fell because of the combine? Well, the combine is an interesting one because obviously, obviously, you know, there were no pro days. So typically what we see is like this big ascension from like people who really like do things good for their stock at the combine and then for their pro days and from the pro days to, you know, what happens in between. So the fall to me, it was more about like the market dynamics because there's no way Patrick Queen should have ever been number 28 to the Ravens. Right. And it was less about his stock falling and more about the market dynamics of the need for quarterbacks or, you know, specific offensive tackles or wide receivers that people thought in this draft were elite to the point where they had to trade for them. So, you know, obviously we saw like Jordan Love be traded into the first round board coming out of the combine. People like Jordan Love, but I don't know if anyone would have thought he was in a first round pick. So it was more about other people, like the quarterback position and and some of these wide receivers shifting the, the market dynamics and somebody really falling. You mentioned Patrick Queen in your, uh, in your article with the best first-round value picks. How much of that data do you think is factored into the Ravens' defensive coaching just being historically good? And how much do you think was the skill set of the player and also, again, like you were saying, where he was picked? You know, it's funny because when it comes to, like, the, it was a positional thing, right? Like, Patrick Queen should have been, I don't know, probably 16, 15th in another year's draft class. And that's at the linebacker position. Typically... Teams value positions as in the following way. He goes quarterback, defensive end, or pass rusher to be an interior player. Then your left tackle, then either wide receiver or cornerback, or cornerback, then wide receiver. Depends on the coaching philosophy. So linebacker doesn't fall within those top five. So really, it was more of an interesting like situation with the position and the fact that but like the rest was kind of lucky. They didn't need an edge rusher. They got Clayus Campbell in the offseason. They didn't need a quarterback. They didn't need a left tackle. So they were kind of able to sort of pick for best available as opposed to draft a specific need. We are talking to NFL analyst Cynthia Freeland. Do you think CeeDee Lamb was the biggest steal in round number one and why? <laughs> the interesting part, okay, so CeeDee Lamb, I was shocked that he made it out of the top 10. I was shocked. You know, obviously, look, like, some interesting things didn't happen. The, the top of the draft was considering, you know, remember just two weeks ago, we we thought there were going to be trades maybe up to as high as pick number two with Washington or pick three with the Detroit Lions, but none of that happened. So it became a little chalky. What was more interesting to me was that he wasn't the first wide receiver, you know, really taken, or that it wasn't him or Jerry Judy that was the first wide receiver taken. Judging with the trades that you were talking about, there were really a lack of them in the first round. Do you think it, the virtual draft had a lot to do with that, why maybe there were more safer picks done and more? Let, a lot of trades at the end of the first round, but really not a lot of drastic big trades like you normally see. Yeah, I, actually, I don't think that has anything to do with it being virtual. I think it has to do with the fact that this season, more than others, teams were like, okay, we're going to go get our guy. We're going to – because the Lions, for example, Bob Quinn has never made a first-round trade. So it just happened to be that Bob Quinn, with that third pick, he was like, yeah, no, we're not, we're not moving out of it. They didn't get the equity that they thought was right, and they made it very clear that they weren't going to be really entertaining draft day trades, which – whether or not you think that's a smart strategy, that's a different question. But the reality is, is he was telling the truth. Usually, the, usually you hear those like draft rumors, and they're not true. 
But in this case, he actually was telling the truth. Interesting. What were your thoughts of the Giants and Jets draft, and who do you think, out of both New York teams, won the draft? Well, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, I think that the Bills probably won the offseason overall between, and they didn't have a first-round pick, but they got Stephon Diggs. That's just, that's part of their first-round pick, right? So right. I factor that into it. And the Bills draft is really, really good. AJ Vanessa in the second round, and their defensive front, like immediate impact, immediate adding use, something that could be really good for them going forward. Evanescence had the most quarterback hits in, in, in the Big Ten last year at Iowa. Like, he's a really interesting prospect. He's a really interesting player. And in that, I mean, Nick Sherman is a really good defensive coach. So I actually think that the Bills really won all of it. But essentially, I think both the Jets and the Giants, they made really good developmental picks. They got the kind of the right players. I mean, Xavier McKinney, who the Giants drafted in the second round, that safety Technically, he's a safety, but he's also like a nickel linebacker. He has like a really, it's a diverse resume in his Alabama career. So you could see him playing a lot of different positions of need from day one. So that's a huge addition to their team. They also did a good job like addressing needs. Take the best tasks available. Yes, it's number four. Yes, it's a high pick, but just do it. And I can say the same thing kind of about the Jets, right? Give Sam Darnold some protection. He clearly needs it. Both of both him and both quarterbacks need it, right? And then you know add at positions of need throughout the rest of the draft. Neither one. So the to me the Jets draft is probably not. I'm going to say the word as sexy. They did get a wide receiver. They did get, but they could have gone super sexy and like taking that premier wide receiver first. But I think they made this smart move by taking the tax first. Now, we have a lot of fans that call this show, and one of them, he's a big Dallas Cowboys fan. And for some reason, he thinks the Dallas Cowboys struck out in this year's draft, which they were on top of my draft board as one of the top teams, one of the top five teams that had a wonderful draft. But he did not like the C.D. Lamb draft pick, and he wanted McKinney from the Giants, who the Giants drafted in the second round. What would you say to him if he was standing right in front of you? I would say... I think he's, like, maybe he's, like, boosting you into trying to, like, you know, <laughs> think he's, I think he's lying to you. I think he's, I think he's trying to fleece you somehow. Because I don't, I, I, not only was the C.D. Lamb pick exceptional, but then they followed it. Remember, they had a pick two or three slots ahead of the Philadelphia Eagles in the second round. The Eagles, who needed a corner, and they snapped up a corner there, not, not, uh, look, they did lose one of, one of the better corners of the league, obviously now in Miami, and they do need to replace that. But it's still an area of need. Let, let me be clear. However, with that offense, yikes. Like, I, th- I think he's pleasing you. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of uh, Xavier McKinney, who he wanted, he, you ranked him for the Giants as the best analytical value of the second round and, and third round, just day two draft picks. Now, the Giants improved their corner depth in the offseason with James Bradbury and also still have some other young corners. Do you expect him to play a lot of that slot corner role that you were emphasizing earlier? Or do you think in terms of in a, him playing a natural safety position, how do you think the numbers would match up if he were to play just the raw safety position. You know, I think that, like, the thing, the thing about defense, and you got to remember, with a potential for this offseason to be, I'm going to say, weird, different than, than other offseasons, 
Um, the interesting part about defense is that defense kind of has a little bit of an advantage, at least if you've seen in the past, when, like, like there, for example, we see, like, the alliance of XFL. You see the defense having a jump on offense early in terms of kind of who wins. So defense is the gelling period and being able to recognize offenses. That period is a little shorter for the defense than for offenses. Overall, not, it's, not every, it's not true everywhere, but, you know, as a, on the average. The interesting part about how Xavier McKinney could fit in is he's seen so much more. He's been in, like, pro-style situations. So his learning curve, theoretically, should be shorter than other people. So, that you know, he can play nickel linebackers. He's like, safety, sure. He'll play all of them. They will figure it out. They have the people to understand. You remember – but, you know, one of the things you didn't bring up was actually Blake Martinez, who's a linebacker, who they also uh, acquired his offseason from Green Bay. Martinez is really good in the middle of that defense, and I think he'll be a strong presence to sort of help out uh, McKinney and kind of figuring out the middle of the field. So I think that he, while he'll probably, I mean, what, free safety? Sure. Okay. But he'll be listed as that. I'm, I'm sure that's how they'll have him listed. I, I think I would expect a lot of smart usage by Joe Judd. You know, I would, I don't think it's going to be straight one position. I think it's going to be like let's rotate him around and figure out where we can get the most out of him. Everyone. We are talking to NFL analyst Cynthia Freeland. Now, Cynthia, I, I know everybody keeps talking about the winners and losers of this draft, and I was. One of the guys that picked my five winners and my three losers. So I'm going to ask you, in this year's draft, 2020, the virtual, the first virtual draft the NFL has ever produced, who was your five winners and who are your three losers in this year's draft? Okay. So I would say winners go Vikings. I would say, uh, you know what, I'm going to give the, I'm going to say the Bills. I'm going to say Vikings, Bills. I love, I know they didn't have a ton of picks, but I thought the Arizona Cardinals, they really did a nice job as well. Um, I thought the Saints did a really good job. It sounds weird, like, it's strange to me to pick ones that, like, obviously the Vikings had 15 picks, which was the most since we've gone to a seven-round system since 1994. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. other than them, it was about making smart picks. And so, for me, Saints and then, I, and then Ravens. Are, really bu- uh, are you a hidden Bills fan? Because are you a hidden Bills fan? Because I'm starting to, I'm starting to think that you're a hidden Bills fan. Definitely, if you were to ask Bills Mafia last year, they were so mad at me all the time. So no, I am not a hidden Bills fan. I am a, I'm just, I'm just. Look, when you pick a Jake Fromm in the fifth round, and you have a Josh Allen, and that's an interesting. Like, backup quarterbacks either need to come a one or two right. Either they need to play in the same style as the quarterback so the offense has not really doesn't have to learn a ton, or they have to be in a different style of the starting quarterback. So in the case that they have to go in, the defense that they're playing is screwed up because they've, they've been prepping for the wrong player. I think that Jake Fromm is a great secret weapon as a backup that could turn into a very viable starter, depending on everything that happens. I love his accuracy. I, I think he's a very interesting I, I like Jake Fromm more than most. He's, he's accurate. He, he, he improved his accuracy with, and at the same time improved, like kept his ability to not turn the ball over really high as well. And that's something that projects for success to me. So I like their pick. So, I, you know, that's, I'm just, I'm strictly going on draft. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going by heart. I'm a Lions fan. So, oh. you know, 
life is hard. Mm. Life is hard. Well, I'm a Jet fan, so life is even more hard. Well, the, at least the Jets have more than one playoff win. Wow. Well, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Let me talk about No, no, no. <laughs> Jets, no, you're not even allowed to start complaining as a Jets fan. Just try to Google anything, like, Try to Google, like, you know, Lions playoff. See what happens. I'm very aware. They have one playoff. I'm very aware. <laughs> the entire Super Bowl era. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Just making sure we knew. Got it. <laughs> All right. Cynthia, moving on to from teams to the actual players, are there any picks that maybe popular consensus and a lot of fans liked that maybe that your data models or your analytics showed that wasn't a good pick or was a reach in the first round? Um, I think for the most part, like, look, like, my model agrees that Jordan Love, I don't think most people like the Jordan Love pick in the first round, and my model agrees with that. I think some of the, like, the Raiders picks were a little suspect from the standpoint of, you know, the corner that they picked was not um, highly rated for me, not nowhere near the first round. Um, I don't think he's, but I also don't think other people liked him, you know, as, as well as the, as well as, you know, Mike Mayock and John Green do. Um <laughs> I mean, I think it's interesting. You know, honestly, uh, on a different team, Javon Kinlaw would have been too high where the Niners took him. However, when you look at the, the sum of the parts in that one, Javon Kinlaw is a better pick than it's at first blush. And then they got, you know, they obviously got some equity for that by trading down a position. But, you know, the interesting part about all of it is that it matters so much. So Javon Kinlaw on the Niners in that front is a great pick. Javon Kinlaw at the Falcons, who are rumored to want him, not as great of a pick because they have a lot of needs along that defensive front. So it's an interesting. It was a it was a good fit. It was maybe a bit high in terms of like true number pick, but you know it's all about it. Will somebody else take him? Cynthia, what is it that everybody hates about Jordan Love? I thought. He was a sensational quarterback. I, I watched him at the Combine. He, he really impressed me at the Combine. And I knew, I really thought that he was a first-round pick. I really did. A lot of people didn't, but I thought he was. And he felt kind of, he fell kind of in the same spot as Aaron Rodgers did when he, get, he got drafted. I think, he, I think they moved yeah. up 24, I think. 24. Yeah. Yeah, I guess the, I guess the it's not about Jordan Love. It's more about where like they traded up to get him so if you think he's not going to be there that spurs you to trade right hmm. yep. i don't think most other teams thought we're going to, to take jordan love in that spot i think they got cheap so it's not as much about jordan love as it is the trade-up who else was available and team needs at that point that makes it seem my sense is that you know, I kind of feel bad for Jordan Love because I feel like everybody's, like, in sports media, there's much for us to talk about right now, so we talk about Jordan Love a lot. <laughs> it's really less about him as much as it is the kind of disrespect shown to Aaron Rodgers. And and then they, like, doubled down and, and got a running back with the next game. Like, they made it – they had a confusing, maybe, maybe not so great draft, or the strategy was not something that we as outsiders can understand. But I don't think it's about Jordan Love specifically. It's the situation. Plus, like, the irony of doing it to Aaron Rodgers, who, like, that happened with Favre. It's just sick, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just, too, it's just a lot of stories, you know? Mm-hmm. But it brings a lot of stories to mind, and it really distracts from the fact that, being honest, like, Jordan Love is a, is a, is a great prospect, but he's not, 
you know, widely regarded by the quarterback people who I trust most. And by the way, there are a billion people who claim to be good at quarterback. But, <laughs> you know, you have to pick who you believe. And, you know, I, I look for track records. And the people who I, the people who I have the most faith in, mm-hmm. they are saying that he has, like, upside, but he's not, he's a developmental prospect. And, you know, the, the game right now at, is not, like, he couldn't take over and win right now. But that, th- that this. Is what I, but this this happens every single year, Cynthia. We've seen a quarterback get drafted either in the first or second round that people are complaining that they don't belong in the first or second round, like Daniel Jones last year. Giant fans were booing him, screaming for his head before he even touched the stage. They wanted to kill the guy. They were throwing apples at him. And now all of a sudden you saw what he did this year. He had 25 or 26 touchdowns. He only threw 13 interceptions. Yes, he fumbles the ball a lot, but that could be cleaned up. He proved that he – I think he had three 400-yard games, which is only – he's only the third quarterback to ever do that. I mean, Giant fans wanted to kill this guy, and look what he became. I still think that if you, were, if you rewind back to last season, Daniel Jones was not was not – in the, like Daniel Jones was like the in more of like the two uh, Justin Herbert like he actually is a lot like Justin Herbert in terms of what people thought of it right like mm-hmm. less experience that Justin Herbert had in college but you know like like a top tier but but not like I don't think Jordan Love Jordan Love if you had to tear it out from like what popular consensus was which who knows what that means right mm-hmm. but I think. Daniel Jones was in that top tier. People thought he was, you know, of that same ilk. They just didn't they didn't know if it should be to the Giants when they had two picks and he could have been around for 17 and blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. So he was right up there with Dwayne Haskins as one of the ones that, you know, it was like, was, is it Dwayne Haskins? Is Daniel Jones? Like, you know, there's like a few people every year who kind of get that, like, top three billing, right? Right. And he was in it. Whereas I don't think Jordan Love this year was really in that, right? It was... Joe Burrow, number one, no questions asked. Then would it be Tua and then Justin or Justin and then Tua? Justin Joe, Joe, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that was kind of what was going on there. Last question for me. Are there any day three picks, fourth round or seventh round on, that stood out to you in your, in your data and your analytics that you think could have a productive career and maybe a rookie of the year candidate this season? Ooh, rookie of the year is going to be a hard one because oftentimes rookie of the year is either – I mean, very often it's quarterbacks. It's going to be really hard for it to not be a quarterback, you know? And and then if not a quarterback, then it's a skill position like a running back or a wide receiver. And with this wide receiver class, it's going to be hard for it to be someone who fell out of the first three rounds, in my opinion. But I'm going to actually, like, kind of, like, totally, you know, make your questions a different one a little bit and <laughs> say who my, who, who my sort of, like, looking at to be – you know, where where am I looking for some value? And I guess I want to point out, like, the entire Minnesota draft class. You know, because I think that, like, they took they took some risks. Obviously, they had two picks in the first round, and, and they're, you know, you know, they were – the Vikings are an interesting one, right? They obviously got those picks from the Bills because we got to bring you back to the Bills somehow. Um, but if you look at their linebacker position, right? The linebacker position, I told you, like it's one of those positions that kind of goes in some interesting different ways, right? So, I don't know. From, so if you look to see from Oregon, they've got they've got this linebacker, and his name is Troy Pye. Mm-hmm. They got him in the fourth round, and he could be he's super fast, and Mike Zimmer with developing linebackers and developing defensive players in general is like really good at it, right? 
so you put that with like Cameron Dancer there, who's their corner they got, and they got Jeff Gladney, the other corner, <laughs> and then you got like you just got all these like interesting pieces. And then by the way, you picked up in the seventh round, you picked up Kenny. I think it's it's I know how to spell it. It's like Willikies. <laughs> anyways, and you picked up him, and so you've got all these pieces, these pieces who could really be like a Mike Zimmer special, right? So it's interesting to me to see how they will pan out. Because there's a, there's a whole bunch of interesting potential upside side. And that's always a good spot to be in. Last question for me, and it's a quick question. What do you think about Andy Dalton going to the Dallas Cowboys? And do you think this is the end for Dak Prescott with... Uh, the franchise tag put on him, and he wants $40 million. Do you think it's done in uh, Dallas for Dak? No, it is not done in Dallas for Dak. Dallas, Dak, it's fine. I think I think Andy Dalton is a really good backup. And I think, I, I honestly, like, I think they, I think that was a really smart move. And I think Andy Dalton is the kind of, he's the kind of guy who, like, look, Dak Prescott is a physical, if he, he gets hurt, do you really want, Anyone else, like, and Andy Dalton is a perfect complement to a Dak Prescott. And Dak will get his money. He will. I, I just, I mean, I, look, I don't have any special insight here. I don't have any, this is purely my speculation based <laughs> on covering the tweets for a while. I don't think they're going to let Dak out of the Dallas Cowboys organization. I don't know if that means playing with the tag this year or not. I'd have to really dig into their cap situation to figure it out. Because Dallas always does things where they like go back and renegotiate. Because you know, look, they sound like you know Amari Cooper. They've got Zeke. Zeke getting paid everything this year. You know, they've got all these people getting paid all this money, and then you're like, well, how do they do it? And it's basically, because their strategy is about how to figure out their dead money, and like, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into it. So I think ultimately, when it comes to gas, they're like, we'll figure it out, and they will. I think they will. Cynthia, you're, you, you've upsetted me today. You really have. You, you've, you're a hidden Bills fan. I, I'm telling you, you are. You are a hidden Bills fan. No, I'm definitely not. I'm definitely <laughs> not. Trust me. Trust me. That, those Bills fans will tell you that I picked against them. They were mad about it last year. They were in their feelings a lot about it. And, Cynthia, you should be following us on Twitter. I, you have not followed us on Twitter. I'm very upset with you. <laughs> I am very upset with you. WWSRN underscore radio. We want to we want to get you back on whenever the season, if the season actually starts, and I believe there will be a season. Uh, we would love to get you back on. Absolutely, we'll get back on for sure. Absolutely, thank you, Cynthia, for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, <laughs> Cynthia Freeland. Uh, she was great. Absolutely great. Uh, Not a Bills fan, though. <laughs> ah, I tried to, you know. <laughs> Tried to get her to admit that she was a Bills fan, but she's not. She is a Lions fan. I feel bad for her. I, I oh, now feel, you do. After you're... I feel worse for her than I do as a Jet fan. So there you go. Uh, when we come back, more here on Down to the Wire. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, 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 you're listening to Down to the Wire on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
That's right, Speedy. You got the music. You got everything. Here we go. What? 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 Little Method Man, Red Man, Blackout. Here we go. I know. I know Jeff knows this track. 631-965-4990, as you guys know. And remember, you can follow us by going to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Well, I'd like to thank Cynthia for joining us, Cynthia Freeland. She gave us so many good, so much good information on the NFL draft. And I took shots at the beef, but I wanted to get her opinion on, on C.D. Lamb. Uh, she loves the C.D. Lamb move, so... And uh, she actually liked the Andy Dalton move. So I know Jeff didn't like that. And we got Jeff on the line right now. As we, as we all know, he does not like the Dallas Cowboys, and he doesn't like the Andy Dalton move. What's going on, Jeff? How are you gentlemen doing today? We are good, my friends. How are you? Great interview with Cynthia Freeland. Loved it from start to finish. Lots of great insight. Oh, she was, I will say. Yeah, she was great. Now we have confirmation, right? Like, like, this is, like, the actual confirmation. Like, she was nice about it, okay? And she didn't say it in so many words, but Cynthia Freeland called the bee a retard. <laughs> right? that's, that's the big takeaway. Big takeaway from the entire interview. She said, your Dallas Cowboys fan friend is a retard. <laughs> well, she didn't use it in those terms, but uh, she pretty much said... I said she was nice about it. I said Well, I, I will tell you this. He's completely wrong about this kid. He keeps saying that she, that she, he is a bust. <laughs> he is a bust, and I beg to differ on it. The kid could do everything inside and out, and the guy goes up the middle. He, he's one of those wide receivers that we've seen over the years that really, it's a hidden trade now. There are not a many wide receivers that will go up the middle and make plays. We've seen C.D. Lamb do it in college, and I think you're going to see it a lot here in the NFL. The kid has amazing hands. He's so, especially good after the catch, too, in college, too, when you look at it. And that's perfect for an offense. When Mike McCarthy was with the Packers, they did a lot after the catch, too, in terms of making tough catches, but also, again, spacing themselves out very well. Great route runners for, again, somebody – receivers that were bigger, not overly fast, but the way they spaced was just very good. And Lamb is that kind of player and is a very good deep throw. Oh, too. very special. He's going to be a special player for the Cowboys, and he's going to be their number one target. You watch this year. He's going to see about 75, 80 looks. Just as much as you're going you're gonna to see that with Amari Cooper, and I think uh, and Beeve's going to see why this kid <laughs> is that special. And the fact that he fell to the Cowboys at 17, she was even surprised. She even said it. Uh, and she said that whoever, whoever your friend is, uh, he might be playing a practical joke on you because uh, I, would, I, would not, I would not trade McKinney for CeeDee Lamb any day, any time, any place. And he, she said... She said he could have been a top five pick. The fact that he fell to number 17 is amazing, and the Cowboys got a steal in the first round. And she was also praising McKinney, too. It's not like she was yep. bashing McKinney either, but, mm-hmm. she, but she even said that that was the best value pick for an offensive player in that draft. And the article I read that I was referencing, it was their second best value pick after Queen when she, did, when she ranked them all. It's absolutely incredible what I mean, the Cowboys I mean, got. I mean, so terrific of an interview. You, you, you actually got an NFL insider to call the beef an idiot. <laughs> it, was, it was tremendous. 
No, she, she didn't call him an idiot. She didn't call I him mean, an idiot. We, we, we read between the lines. <laughs> she didn't call I'm him reading an between idiot. Lines. No, no, she would never do anything like that because she's a wonderful, sweet human being who, by the way, is, if you don't follow her work, she's terrific. She's so wonderful. But we all know Bean's an idiot. <laughs> well, he was an idiot saying C.D. Lamb is going to be a bust because every single person we have interviewed Insider in the last two days that are NFL insiders, statistical analytic guys, they all said that the Cowboys had a very good draft and C.D. Lamb was a complete steal at number 17. And the only person that didn't think that was the beef. He, he thinks he's going to be a bust and he thought that the Cowboys had one of the worst drafts they've ever had. Meanwhile, people are saying, I don't know what, what, what's up with Jerry Jones in the yacht, but he should be making his draft picks on the yacht every single year. Because they won the draft in their eyes. Hopefully, one of us in our in our Yahoo fantasy league end up with CD Lamb. He just puts up forty points against the beef. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I mean, I mean, the yacht might be where Jerry Jones keeps his medication. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you this, man. Uh, anybody that doesn't think CD Lamb is going to be a good player in this league obviously has not watched him play college ball. And I know the Beeve hasn't watched him play college ball. So I don't take shots at the Beeve because he, he doesn't watch a lot of college football. So No, no, I'm not taking shots at him either. I just call it how I see it. He's dumb. <laughs> well, he makes, he makes rash thoughts on players that he's really never seen play. He's watched clips of them. It's just like saying uh, and, uh, what he has said over the, you know, the last two years is, if Ezekiel Elliott played behind the same offensive line as Barry Sanders, he'd have the same numbers. And I said, how do you figure that? I mean, seriously, Barry Sanders, who's a completely different running back. I mean, he's a, he's a east-west, north-south runner. Ezekiel Elliott is a north-south runner. That's all he is. That's, that's his game. There's Imagine nothing how she alike. would react if we asked, him, uh, if we asked her that. Well, She's a Lions wanna, fan. I, I'm not and- taking shots at the beef. I'm just saying. <laughs> She pretty oh, much. You could have ever asked the Lions fan if, if she thought that Zeke Elliott was better than Barry Sanders. That would have been gold. No, I wasn't going to do that. And and she really loved the interview. She actually texted me after the uh, the interview, and she says, oh, it was great. Uh, send us the cl- send me the clip." So she loved what we you know the questions that we asked. She gave us good insight of what she thought. Uh, of the questions that we asked. And yes, I asked her questions that I wanted to reiterate what the beef has said and what he is wrong about. And CD I mean, Lamb. That's the main takeaway, right? She mm-hmm. Well, he didn't like the Andy Dalton move and she loved it. She thinks it's a great fit with the Cowboys. He's, he's absolutely, he would be the best backup in the NFL right now. So the Cowboys are going to, if Dak Prescott can't stay healthy or he doesn't want to play this year, out, yeah. yeah, have Andy Dalton. And Andy Dalton is a very reliable quarterback that can play this offense. He's played in a West Coast style of offense, and it would work. It would work with the Cowboys, especially with Mike McCarthy. So she says, if anything, that was a great move for $3 million. That was a steal. So the Cowboys have done very, very well so far this offseason. But unfortunately, one of the big Cowboy fans, the Beeve, does not like what they have done so far. So he no, wanted he McKinney over like C.D. Lamb. He, he hates success. He doesn't actually want to win. No, but it, it just it doesn't make any sense. What really bothers him bothers me about him is that he would absolutely, if, if, if the draft was over again and C.D. Lamb and McKinney was sitting there, he would draft McKinney over C.D. Lamb. And I told him that when we were on the phone during one of the t- rides you took me here. 
I even told him that on the phone. If both of us were GMs of our respective teams, and I offered you Xavier McKinney for CD Lamb, would you take it? And, I'd, I'd say you're on drugs. He says, "Yeah, I, I would take that in a heartbeat." Xavier McKinney's who I wanted, and I'm like, "All right, I'll do that in a heartbeat too." And I know I'll get a, I'll get a top five, po- po- top ten, possibly top five player in the second round. I I, I will tell you this. <laughs> Sid- I I beg to differ. I don't say that. I think the Cowboy fans deserve to win just as much as any team besides the Patriots deserve to win. (laughs) Just kidding. Well, the Patriots for for, uh, 30. I will tell you this. I'm going to root for the Patriots this year. You know why? I'm going to tell you why. Because everybody thinks because Tom Brady's not there, Bill Belichick is not going to find a way to win. I believe he will. I think he's the mastermind of that, or, that team and that organization. And I think he's going to still prove that he can win without Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. They'll so, steal some games. They'll be competitive, I think. And they'll win at home because they're good at so home. So I'm rooting for the I, I'm rooting for I don't the think they'll, Yeah, year. I don't think they'll be any worse, I think, than 6-10, and if that's what you're judging. No, I think they're going to win. They're going to be 8-8 eight eight or 9-7. I think they're going to be a borderline playoff team. And, and to me, who's, who's to know what Stidham is going to be? Stidham could be a star. We don't know what he is. We really never got I mean, a chance to watch a play. I got them at seven and nine. I don't know how they're gonna. You know, listen, it's possible. Their defense is really good still. Before, but they they have literally the hardest schedule in the league. It's it, to me. I, again, I, I'm not. I'm not saying that the Patriots are going to have a great season. I just think. It's very, very interesting. It's going to be an open season right now for the AFC because it, besides really Kansas City and the Ravens, the Ravens, there really is no sure thing coming out of the AFC. There really isn't. And, and to me, that's what makes this season more exciting than any season because I think we're going to see a lot of surprises in the AFC and we're not going to see a lot of surprises in the NFC. I think we know the five or six teams or seven teams that are going to be fighting for those spots and that's it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The NFC has some deep divisions, though, too. It's just a matter of, again, what will the records be? Because they also have, historically have a lot of parity. Outside of the North, I don't know if I could see two playoff teams from the North. But every other division, I could definitely see two playoff teams. And from the West, who have a very easy schedule, I could definitely see three. Jeff, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, we, we all know what's going to happen. In the, like, the teams that did well in the offseason are... You know, pretty clear, I think. You know, but, you know, it remains to be seen what the Buccaneers can actually do. Mm-hmm. But they had a great offseason. So, you know, I mean, for the most, you know, and there's teams that surprise everybody every year. So, you know, there's always one, right? There's mm-hmm. always one surprise team. But, you know, I think for the most part, the people think the South is between the Buccaneers and the, and the Saints. And, you know, the, the East is always so terrible and they'll have they'll inflict a eight and eight playoff team upon the world because that's what the, the NFC East does every year. Right. Uh, you know, like I, I think we already kind of know what's going to go on. I am very you know, interested. I, I, I'm very interested see, to see what is going to happen. What in the AFC? Not in the NFC. In the AFC, yes, I think we we're going to see a lot of surprises in the AFC because as much as everybody thinks that Buffalo Bills have the most talent, I still don't know if they're going to win the division. I I could see Miami made a lot of acquisitions this <clears> offseason, <throat> and who's to say? I, I understand they're a young team and they're a building team, and they might be two years away. Miami could be a surprise team and win the AFC. The Jets could be, and also the Patriots could still win the division this year with that division. So. You know, Anything could happen the in only a team, 
the only team in the league this year that I see, I mean, kind of semi-surprising people, I think Arizona is really mm-hmm. going to give people. You know, if you go back to last year, Arizona lost three or four games, you know, by, you know, three points or less in the last minute. They lost to San Francisco twice. They hung tough with a lot of good teams, too. The Ravens, the Steelers, they hung tough with a lot of good teams last year as well. Right. So they're not really thought of as a good team right now, but I think Arizona's going to be the team that surprises people in the NFC. Mm-hmm. I, I was I, – I, wide open. I, I, the NFC East is wide open, too. As much as everybody thinks that the Eagles are the best team in that division because of the acquisitions that they made, bringing Slay in and what? giving them that, that shutdown corner that they've been – really dreading for the last couple of years, really since the Super Bowl time, when they went all, all the way to the Super Bowl and beat the Patriots. But even none of those were shut-down corners. No. That's the best corner they had probably since they had Troy Vincent in the 80s or something like that. Yeah. They also had, what's his name again, um, from the Oakland Raiders. Oh, awesome, but he didn't play well there, though. But he was still a top corner when he went there. Sure. Is the NFC East really wide open, though? Because I think that there are, you know, I think there's a clear line up between the, the top two and the bottom two. You know, the Giants and the, the Redskins being the bottom two. I don't think that they're as close as Dallas or Philly, you know. And, and you know, listen, every year that team is an eight and eight playoff team up on. Someone in the NFC is going to get sprayed at 11 and five right. because they have to let the freaking Eagles in at seven and nine or something. <laughs> The only thing, and, I, and again, I'm not a Cowboys fan, and I, don't, and I don't think Mike McCarthy fits what the Cowboys are going to put out there, except the, the wide receivers now. But I still think their best player is Ezekiel Elliott, and I, don't, don't, I, I really don't think he fits their offense. But I think the Cowboys could surprise a lot of people. I, I don't trust Dak Prescott. I really don't. They're not going to surprise anybody. They've been screwing things up for years. Yeah, but their draft was pretty good, as, we, as Cynthia was saying. And a lot of people was, have said they... Even uh, Daigle, that we, Jim Daigle that we interviewed yesterday. John Daigle. John Daigle, I'm sorry. John Daigle, he actually gave us good insight of them, too, and he thought the Cowboys had a sensational draft as well. And Andy Dalton, as much as everybody says Andy Dalton is a terrible move by the Cowboys, he is the best backup. For $3 million. He is the best backup quarterback right now in the NFL. So if anything goes wrong or Dak decides, you know what, screw you guys, I'm not playing this year, well, then you have Andy Dalton. And to me, I think fits the offense better than Dak does. Ginger Hercules, but not Andy Dalton. Ginger Hercules. <laughs> ginger Hercules, yes. The ginger man. The gingerbread man. We'll call him the gingerbread here's man. The here's, here's the thing this year. Will Andy Dalton dye his hair blue for the Cowboys? Well. That would be interesting. For the Beav, uh, Beav wouldn't like that. He's had, he's had a Maybe a star in the back of his, fo- back of his head. For years now. Maybe if he puts a, st- a star in the back of his head or, you know, gets it in blue or something in the back of his head, I, I, I think... Then the Beaver really root on Andy Dalton, but he can't stand Andy Dalton. He hates it. He told me today, I, I, I want to I kill the Cowboys organization. He hates the draft. He hates the acquisitions. He thinks everything the Cowboys have done is completely a dud this year. So he'll, he'll, he'll complain if Andy Dalton comes in for a game. Andy Dalton was targeting CeeDee Lamb too much. I do believe he'll regret. I think the Cowboy fans will regret. Adding Mike McCarthy taking over that offense because they had one of the best offensive teams last year with a guy that every single Cowboy fan hated in Jason Garrett. And they bring in Mike McCarthy, who had two quarterbacks, Hall of Fame quarterbacks, as his quarterback, as a head coach 
you know, in Green Bay. He doesn't have that over there in Dallas, and I think he's going to have a lot of problems. We don't has a he doesn't have an accurate thrower or a runner of that magnitude like Aaron Rodgers coming in and out of the pocket, or a gunslinger like Brett Favre throwing the ball down the field. So I think they're going to have a lot of problems. I think he's going to have a lot of problems with the offense that he's going to run with their best player being a running back. So. Uh, I, I'm telling you right now, I, I still think the Cowboys could be a lot better and a lot more efficient than people are saying they're going to be. But I, I don't like Mike McCarthy, M- Mike McCarthy as the head coach of this team moving forward. I really don't. Well, they'll be competitive like they usually are. The question is, again, in with the South and the West, with those extra teams that can make the playoffs. And now with one, he will be fired in two years. Team, are the Cowboys going to be that team? Because the Cowboys, we've seen in the past, they've always, a lot of times, been the first team out a lot of the time, too, even if they're not, uh, even if they're just short in the division. They're a lot of times the first team out with the wild card, too, uh, going back to that. So it's just a matter of the same thing that's always hindered them. Can they win key games late in the year? And that seems to be the thing that, outside of the 2018 season, and again, just years where they were just super dominant, when it comes to them being close, they don't seem to win key games. <laughs> I mean, they're going to be terrible. Like, what week do you think they're going to screw it up this year? I, I, 15. Week 15, they'll have some dud against a, a team they're tied with in the wild They're card. a borderline Maybe playoff Arizona team. Or something they're like a borderline some... playoff team this year. That's where I right. think they are. But I, I'm saying, they, in those situations, they're usually the first team out. They'll, the Cowboys will always have some dud against a team they're fighting with in the wild card. Maybe. But you also know that there's going to be an extra team coming out of the NFC that's going to make the playoffs. So... Uh, that gives uh, an NFC team, possibly a 9-7 and team, a chance to make the playoffs, e- even though the NFC is so good. In the AFC, I could, I could see a 7-9 and or an 8-8 eight, eight team making the playoffs this year. That was my biggest year. problem with the playoff expansion. You're going to see a lot of that. I, I think. think you're going to see that this year. And I think I wouldn't be so surprised if an 8-8 eight and eight or uh, a 7-9 and nine team go far in the playoffs because we've seen crazier things in the NFL and we can see crazier things now. A, a defense gets hot, a quarterback or a running back gets hot, like you saw with Tennessee last year, mm-hmm. and you don't know what's going to happen so uh, I, I think it's going to be a fun season to watch when whenever if we do have an NFL season and and how many people and I never asked Cynthia this because I'm sure she doesn't she doesn't know yet but what are these owners and what are these teams going to do are they going to are they going to allow 20,000 or 25,000 of the 55 60,000 that could fit in the stadium in to watch the game or not have fans at all I think it will ruin the 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 excitement of the game if there's no fans out in the crowd. But you can't have, you really can't have 65 or 70,000 fans in the audience with this COVID-19 going on, which you don't have a serum, you don't have anything to stop it. So I I do believe that the NFL is going to have to figure out something where uh, I've been hearing that the Miami Dolphins are already planning to only have 20 to twenty to 15,000 people every single home game to come and watch the games live. Which they could get anyway because it's Miami, <laughs> but okay. I mean, Corporate. You, you guys find it interesting that the Cowboys now have two quarterbacks that face off against each other in the 2010 Bowl. <laughs> do you, do you, do you, how much trouble do you think the Cowboys will be in that a guy that threw for 211 yards in the Fiesta Bowl will be now coaching a guy that threw for three interceptions in the same game. <laughs> <laughs> that TCU team was really good. I think they were number four in the whole nation or something like that. <laughs> I mean, it was easily one of the worst bowl games. I've well, ever Snug, Snug is uh, he's, he's, he's really taking shots at the Cowboys. He says, please, God, let the Cowboys have the perfect season in reverse. That's what he says. No, no, snug. The Cowboys have to be eight and eight. That's what they always are. 
Beef has a secret uh, inappropriate urges for a dashing ginger quarterback. <laughs> like they, like they, they had a great offseason, the Cowboys, right? They went and got John Terry Paul and Stevie Lamb's terrific and they motor, right? But like we all know what's going to derail this team, right? It's mm-hmm. going to be like, you know, uh, cocaine and hookers in the locker room with Alden Smith, and then that's what everyone's going to it's crazy, man. It is absolutely crazy. I think it's going to be a fun season. I'm looking forward to it because uh, with with all the Jets acquisitions and really rebuilding that offensive line in just one offseason and really seeing if these players are going to develop, not on just the Jets, the Giants, uh, watching the Patriots grow with Stidham no as a quarterback. On the Jets. I'm sorry? No one develops on the Jets. The Jets are like right, here we the go. minor league farm team for every other NFL franchise. Well, let's see what the uh, let's see what the Patriots could do without uh, your great Tom Brady, and see how they develop some of the young players develop. Because to me, as much as you think Stidham is the guy for the Patriots right now, I do believe that next year they'll be looking for a quarterback in the draft. So they, I they, they could be they no, could they're not could be. They will. They will be looking for a quarterback yeah, in the draft next year. But that's also because a lot of teams weren't planning for those quarterbacks like they've been planning all year for Tom Brady. When Matthew Castle took over for Tom Brady, when Matt Castle took over for Tom Brady, teams were planning for Tom Brady the whole season. All of a sudden, Matt Castle took over after after what happened with him. I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was against the Cincinnati Bengals, right? Was it? How do you, what, I'm trying to remember which circumstances. You're I forget going for. what when he tore his ACL. That's what circumstances. Oh, the Chiefs. That was the Chiefs. Bernard Pollard. All right. So, so everybody was planning for Tom Brady all season long, and then they got Matthew Castle. And it's hard to plan against a quarterback you really never got a chance to see. So again, you're I mean, absolutely I right. That on some, some level, but Matt, Matt Castle was terrible. Did he even ever win a game? Possibly win. What did he win? Like three more games with Minnesota. He had one playoff year with Kansas City, I think, in 2010, and that was it. He fell off really badly after that. I think he went to the Titans. They tried to – I think they were 7-9 and nine at best with him there. And then, then I think then after that he went to the Vikings and he was a backup. I don't think he ever played. Hmm. I mean, think about that. With quarterbacks not named Tom Brady in the last 20 years, they're, they're what, 16-6? and six? That's pretty good. Again – you're not planning against those quarterbacks that took over for Tom Brady. So, again, I'm not arguing what, what these quarterbacks could be or how, how well t- uh, Bill Belichick has worked with young quarterbacks. Nobody was planning to play those quarterbacks. Now, Stidham, everybody, whatever they got, whatever footage they got of Stidham. They were all planning to, they were all planning to play those quarterbacks. They didn't, tell me they didn't know Jimmy Garoppolo was going to play when Tom Brady was suspended for four games. They well, they knew that. Well, yeah, they knew that. the first first game they won was against a really good Arizona team, too. They knew they knew about that. 
They knew about that, but again, again, week two, week two on, week two on. Okay, the first game they were. Come on, Jeff. Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo is a different quarterback than Matthew Castle. Okay, give me a break. Matthew Castle. After you left the Patriots, go look what his career turned out to be with Kansas City. Everything awful, awful, awful. So I again, you're going to sit here and tell me because Matthew Castle took over in the first week, nobody had any thought in their mind that they were going to play Matthew Castle at all during the season. They got a guy that they didn't know anything or didn't have any tape on. They know who Jared Stidham is, and I guarantee you, teams are going to know his strengths and his weaknesses, and they're going to be able to contain him where they couldn't contain Tom Brady because Tom Brady was a quarterback that used wide receivers, and he was one, two, three, quick pass outside, inside. They're going to use that same offense with Stidham, but could he make those throws in important parts of the game? That's going to be the question. Is he Tom Brady? I'm sorry to say, until he proves that he's not. So, as much as you say, and you yeah, take shots no, at the Jets. I'm not, I'm not gonna say, no, I'm not. I'm, dude, I'm not the one comparing them to Tom. No, I'm not comparing them either. I'm saying that you're telling me you're taking shots at the Jets and their organization. Let's talk about the Patriots organization. Since Tom Brady, what have they done? What have they won? They've won six Super Bowls. They won six Super Bowls with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Before that, how many did they win? None. But okay. Okay. So they, yeah, they've been with two. They they were with two. Who was their running back and who was their coach? Bill Parcells uh, and Curtis Martin. Yeah, not in '85. He started. There was one. In no, when they went. I'm talking about when they made, made it. To, yeah. Yes, without Bill Belichick. Bill oh, yeah. Belichick wasn't there. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. So yeah, Bill Belichick wasn't there in '85 either. Well, uh, was, that's fine, and, and that's fine, Barry. and that's fine. Did they win the Super Bowl? No, they didn't. No, they got destroyed by the, so arguably the best defense of all time. Oh, they got smashed by the Bears. Yeah, fine. So again, my argument isn't that the Patriots haven't uh, done know. the right. I was thinking about you, and I, mean, I realized why you're taking shots at me. It's because I was thinking about you last night, and I sent you that video clip, isn't it? No, because I, when you send me stupid things, especially with Mark Sanchez, who I couldn't stand whatsoever as a Jets quarterback. Maybe, and maybe I, one in the morning, I had a couple of cocktails. I sent them with the butt fumble. Yeah, the butt fumble. And, and I didn't even watch it. I saw bits and pieces of it, and I was like, oh, Jeff trying to piss me off. So, anyways, Jeff, we have our uh, second guest. Yeah, so. Really Maybe I should send you a clip of Tom Brady tearing his ACL. How about that? Awesome. He still won Super Bowls after yeah, that. Yeah, well, Mark Sanchez was never going to win. A, Mark Sanchez was never going to win a Super Bowl with the Jets, okay? As much as anybody could say that the Jets, if they got through Pittsburgh, and I think if they got through Pittsburgh, they would have had a very good chance of beating Arizona. I really think, do believe that. It's not Arizona. It was Green Bay. Green Bay. You're ripping Mark Sanchez for, you know, not really winning anything, whatever. And he still came infinitely closer than Dak Prescott will ever play. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jeff. Uh, we got to go. We have our uh, second guest that's going to be coming on in just a few minutes. Perfect. Ask him about Ginger Hercules. I will. Thank you, Jeff. Jeff from Tampa, ladies and gentlemen, uh, a real big pain in you-know-what, but he gives you good insight and good arguments. Uh, Shout-out to the Beeve. I wasn't taking shots at you. That was Jeff. I was. Uh, I just had to bring up some of the things and the crazy things that you have said to an NFL analyst that actually follows and deep analytics in depth with these players. So I had to ask her that question, and you were wrong. She believes CeeDee Lamb will be a star. Anyways, uh, when we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have longtime reporter and photographer Dan Carubia here on Down to the Wire. 
It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're you're listening to Down to the Wire on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Six three one nine six five four nine nine zero. Nas, New York State of Mind, classic guys, classic track. Speedy, you're finally getting some good music out there. I pay attention to you when you say uh, artist you like. Man, we we gotta listen to some good lyricist and lyrical music. As we know, as everybody knows, you can follow us at our, you know, you can call us at 631-965-4990. You can follow us by going to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app. It's on iOS. It's on Android. On iOS, WWSRN. And on, um, that's iOS. It's WWSRN. On the Android app, it's Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We're fixing that so you could, you could actually search both keys and find it at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Our second guest tonight, it, this guy has been around the world, not only reporting, but analyzing in photography as well. And we are now going to be talking to a longtime reporter and photographer, Dan Carubia. What's going on, Dan? Hey, how are you tonight? How are you? Thanks for letting me on your program. Oh, we're happy that you're on, man. We're, we're, we had Cynthia, Cynthia Freeland from the NFL Network on, and now we have you. I mean, a star, right. a star stunning, uh, you know, show with all the greatness right over here. How are you and Hello? your family? Yeah, I'm here. How, how are you and your family? We're doing well. Uh, my wife is home here, uh, working out of our house up here in Valencia, New York. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's given me a little bit of time to look at some of this photography that I've done over many years and kind of put them and reorganize. So that's the good stuff. I just feel bad for all the people that have lost loved ones and, and, and you know, were sick and now hopefully uh, got healed and everything. So. My thoughts and everybody on that go out to all those people, too, you know? Oh, it's been crazy, and, and, and they were saying that by June 1st, the death total every single day will be an average of 3,000 people a day worldwide. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. That's going to be tough. It's crazy. It really is. But uh, we're, trying to keep, uh, we're trying to keep in the loop right now in sports, the last dance with Chicago, the Chicago Bulls of the 98 Bulls. I mean, that, that's an incredible series right now. I want to know your opinion. Have you been watching it? A little bit, yes. Um, you know, it's funny, um, and I was going to talk about this uh, later on, but uh, when I was living in San Francisco uh, from uh, 1993 to 1996, um, I, I would come out and, and I would see the, the, the Bulls play the Golden State Warriors. And then um, when I was transferred back to Boston, I drove from San Francisco to Salt Lake City a day after Thanksgiving, and I guess it was 1996, 97. And um, I, I drove all that distance, got into Salt Lake City, went to the hotel, and the Salt Palace was right around the corner from where the hotel where I was staying. And uh, I said, oh, man, let me see if I can go over there. So I checked in the hotel, walked over, and, like, I, I just saw these people standing outside, and they were smoking cigarettes. So I go, is the game on? Oh, yeah, it's halftime. I said, great. <laughs> I said, what's the score? Bulls are up. Okay, good. 
And they started to walk back in. I said, well, I'll follow them in. I had my camera, so I walk in. Now, I didn't have a ticket. I'm inside. <laughs> so I stood up uh, a little bit for the first uh, portion of the second half. And I saw down by the floor, there was a uh, space between the camera people sitting on the floor. So there was a timeout. I had my camera. I said, What's the worst thing that can happen? They throw me out. I don't even have a ticket, so they really throw me out. So I walked down there. Timeout was going on. People standing up. I just sat down right next to the photographer, and I, who was next to me, I go, hi, how you doing? Fine. How are you? Very good. I had a, a kind of a, like a long lens. I sat down. So I got a, some wonderful photos of Jordan, Carl Malone, um, Pippen, uh, and, 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 and a lot of the, um, uh, what you call the, um, Salt Lake City team. Yes. And the, the Utah Jazz. Jazz. Yep. And, and it was just, you know, I was in the right place at the right time. And I, I watched Jordan because I was so close to him at that time. And, and the, the way he moved, how quick he was, um, how he fed off. And, and the game was different then. Okay. You, there was more passing on the inside, and, and, and Jordan was so strong going up to the basket. He, wherever he was, he was a threat no matter where he was. And to watch that presentation and stuff, um, it, it was amazing. And uh, 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 there's a gentleman named Concanon who did the video for that and everything. Mm -hmm. He's a friend of the family, long fam family friend, and I know his dad and, 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 and mom. And uh, to see how they transformed that, into that specific stuff on Jordan was absolutely stunning, stunning. Dan, you were telling me when we were, when I was talking to you on the phone, you were telling me about an experience when your dad wanted you to sneak on the field in order to meet Jackie Robinson. What was that experience like? Obviously being a different time, there was less security at the stadiums, but also the baseball fans themselves were all formals. They were, they were all in suits. They all brought their own food kind of thing. Talk about that experience and again, why you would never see that kind of thing today. Well, this was, and, and, you know, my dad's long past, and I'm doing a memoir now, and I'll tell you in a minute why I'm doing it, but this was in 1956, and we didn't have a family car. I lived in Richmond Hill, Queens, New York, and uh, we took the, my father said to me about a couple days before, we we'll got tickets for the um, Brooklyn Dodger game at Everett Field. I would watch the Dodgers from about 1954, 1955, when they won the World Series against the Yankees, who I hated. And um, now it's 1956, it's the summer's day. And we take a train, and it was a, a, an elevator train, down into to Brooklyn, taking a, a subway train, two stops, and then we took a shuttle train over to Ebbets Field. Now, this is my first game with my dad ever I went to. I had a black-and-white TV. <laughs> so we go into the to the rotunda at at, um, at Ebbets Field, and the smell of hot dogs. And, and you know, this is you know, I forget lists that I have to take right now, but I remember this from that day. The smell of hot dogs, guys selling programs, lineup, scorecard, hot dog. You know, and we walk down a long corridor to third base, and we're sitting by the bullpen, the visiting bullpen. And um, I, I, I walk up the little level to the to where the aisle was. Uh, in left left field, and everything was green. The grass was the greenest grass I've ever seen. A black scoreboard advertising on the left field wall. It was all in color. It blew my mind. <laughs> and now I had a little brownie camera, and the Dodgers would come down. So there's a red railing right by the bullpen where I was sitting, where home plate was by the bullpen. 
And I'm taking a picture of Gil Hodges, Duke Schneider, a um, couple other Dodgers that were there, pitchers that I don't remember. And now all of a sudden, my father said to me, give me the camera. I said, Pop, I can take the picture. I'm doing it now. <laughs> give me the camera. Now, my father's an Italian guy. You don't want to mess with him, okay? So I gave him the camera. Five seconds later, he said, I want you to hop the railing and go on the field. I want a picture with you and this ball player. I said, Pop, I can't do this. It's my first game. I can't even go on the field. It's a professional field. Get on the field. Okay. So I stood on the chair, the seat, hopped on the red railing, and hopped over onto the field. And I'm walking out to this player. Now, I don't remember what I said to him. I was scared to death. But I remember what he said to me. He said, sure, son, turn around. Now, two things I will remember until the day I die. How hard his arm felt on my shoulder and the dew from the grass hitting me in the face. <laughs> my, father took the, my father took the picture. He said to me, are you a Dodger fan? I said, yeah, I got my Brooklyn Dodger shirt on. He goes, if I had a baseball, I'd give it to you. I said, no, no, the picture was fine. Thank you. I want you to, uh, good luck, good luck. He said, thanks, and he patted me on the head. Now, fast forward to years later. I never, ever, ever asked my dad why Jackie Robinson. It was Gil Hodges. It was Duke Schneider. It was Carl Farillo. Why Jackie Robinson? Well, I played baseball for 55 years. I played in the hardball league out in Long Island, all over the place, okay? And I played with many different teammates. And those teammates were all different colors. Uh, but the one thing I looked at was the name on the uniform. And to this day, that thing in my dad, what he did for me, that was the first time I ever snuck on a ball field. And from then on, it just took off. And it was a challenge to, to just take photos of players that maybe might make the Hall of Fame, that I liked and enjoyed watching them play, or I was just on the field because I could get on the field at any time. And I shouldn't have done it, but I did, and I got a lot of photos. We are talking to longtime reporter and photographer Dan Carubia. Now, Dan, I, I know you've been around for a long, long time, and you, you got to meet a lot of different people and interview some people as a reporter and actually take pictures of some of the greatest athletes of all time. Is there a particular moment in your, in your life as a reporter or as a photographer that really stood out the most to you? Yes, without a doubt. It was February 22nd, 1980. And I went to the Russian-American game. Now, a week before that, um, I mean, a year before that, I rode away to the Olympic Committee for tickets. <laughs> and I just picked out, I wanted to go the last couple of games uh, or the last couple of dates. And I, ha I, I got tickets for that, for that Russian-American game. And that's the game that stands out the most to me because um, in 1960, my dad took me to an American-Russian game, an exhibition game at Madison Square Garden, and Jack McCartan was the goaltender that night. And I remember even the Russian goaltender, his name was Nikolai Puchkov. Yep. And, and I, I watched McCartan play because I was a goalie playing roller hockey and ice hockey. And now I'm watching Jim Craig. And the week before, they lost to the uh, Russians in Madison Square Garden. I felt 
that if they only could lose by three goals, maybe that would be a, a moral victory. But to be at that stadium when a losing only scored, to be at that stadium in the last five minutes when Craig made these great saves and, and the crowd, 8,000 people, the last small Olympics, and, and that crowd yelling, USA, USA, USA. And that was the best, wonderfulest, most surprising victory I've ever seen or rooting for a team. And I had my camera that game, and I got, I got a lot of pictures of the game. But I didn't cheer. I didn't stand up. All I did was watch. And then on Sunday, I had no tickets for that game. And that was the gold medal game at 11 o'clock. And I said, man, I got to get into this game somehow. So I've been getting a little bit more experience in like getting into facilities like this. And you wait, at the time, you wait for a little bit of uh, confusion or just when people are going into something real quick. And I used my ticket from the day before because they just cut off a stub of it. And the people went into the stadium at, at, at the rink in, in Lake Placid. And it was steps, wide steps, and there was two ticket takers on the left and right. And I just went between all the people and walked up the stairs and watched the game standing up. And that was the, the when they won that gold medal um, game, um, it was wonderful. But the rushing game with Jim Craig, and what was great about that to me was that the young players of, of that era, they were college players. They were playing a professional team, the Russian big bad. Uh, Army team, and and a coach told them, you can do it, and they did it. And a funny story behind that too. 1964, my friends and I went to the Olympic uh, pra- uh, uh, exhibition game at Madison Square Garden. We met the players at the Hotel Manhattan. We walked with Herb Brooks and Bob Turk to the game, and we got we got the sticks of Bob Turk and Herb Brooks after the game, and brought. Herb Brooks was cut from that Olympic team. And you never know, like, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm thinking the photography that I wound up doing or in some interviews that I did, it was just really for me because of how my father sets the stuff in place to do that. And that was the greatest game I ever the That was the highlight of anything I've ever seen. Dan, what was your favorite stadium and or ballpark to cover a sporting event in and why? Uh, I love Shea Stadium. I grew up to that Shea Stadium. I went to the first game there. Um, I, I would mostly remember that. You know, Everett Field when I went uh, was um, a small little stadium, and I could remember my dad let me walk around the stadium all I wanted, but it was very, uh, very small, very right next to the players. But I was a nine-year-old kid, ten-year-old kid, and and I I didn't I didn't go there as much. I maybe went there five times. But Shea went to the first game there. I ushered at Shea. I went to the last game at Shea. Uh, I knew the ushers there. Uh, I knew fans that were there. Um, the girl I was dating, uh, her aunt had seats uh, 50G and 50F at Madison uh, at, at Shea Stadium, and her her. Um, her aunt would, would give us tickets to the game. So I was very comfortable at Shea. Um, recently, I like San Francisco. I lived out in San Francisco for a while, long before they built the new ballpark, but I've been out at the new ballpark. That was a wonderful stadium. And then 
um, not just talking baseball, the Montreal Forum. Um, I went to the next to the last game at the Forum in Montreal. And I was up there working a couple times. And um, to walk through that stadium where Henri Richard played, Maurice Richard, Boom Boom Jeffrey, and Jacques Plante, where, where Saturday night was the best thing going, and Rene Doucette would sing the Canadian National Anthem. And, and that was a wonderful stadium to go to and, a, and an arena to watch a game. Uh, but, but, you know, Shea Stadium has a, a little – that's where I, I, I enjoyed that game the most. And um, so I went. We are talking to longtime reporter and photographer Dan Carubia. Dan, all these rules, you know, with the league, and you've been around for all these years. You, you've, you've reported. You've, you've, you've been doing photography. And you've been around the NFL. You've been around the NBA, the NHL, and all these different – the two-line pass is gone with the NHL. The NFL, they're changing rules and, and making sure that the quarterback is protected and you can't touch the, the wide receiver anymore. You're going to get a penalty. And then the NBA, it's no flagrant fouls. You, you can't put your hands on anybody anymore. You, if you put a pinky on somebody, you're going to call a foul. I mean, with the rule changing, the, the rule changes of your time and now the new age of sports, do you think it has affected sports or made it better? Well, hello. Yeah, we're here. We're here. We're, did okay. You... Yeah, you know, I, I think I, to me, I look at just say the NBA. Now we used to sneak into the new Madison Square Garden in 1967. We would, you could walk all over the, the, the pathway under uh, where, you t- where they took tickets and everything. A guy would go up, he would have a ticket, he could run downstairs, there was a door on the side there, he opened the door and we scoot in. So we saw some games there where they didn't have a, a three-point line, where there was more feeding inside and, and, and you know, you have a 24-second clock Maybe it took 20 seconds before they got a shot off because they were passing and, and cutting and, and, and following through on that. Now you come down and you're boom, you're, you're, you're chucking away from the three-point line. It's a little different to me to watch that type of a game. These guys are great athletes now, wonderful athletes, well-conditioned athletes, year-round conditioning. But to me, it's a little bit different. You know, in baseball today, to watch Bob Gibson pitch, to watch Don Drysdale pitch, to watch Tom Seaver pitch, you know, Drysdale and Gibson, you didn't mess with them. You, you, they had a, a specific attitude uh, of how they looked at a batter. If the batter looked the wrong way at them, they were given a little chin years. If they said something, they'd probably stick it in their ear. <laughs> and, and, and one time I went to an old-timers game at Shea. I'm diverting a minute about Bob Gibson. And I was at an old-timers game at Shea, and I got on the field. I didn't have any credentials. I had to look out for people who checked IDs because I had none. And I'm sitting on the top step of the home team, the Mets dugout, and Bob Gibson is sitting down in the dugout. And I started to take out my camera, and I asked him, I said, Mr. Gibson, could I take a photo of you? He goes, well, are you going to make money on that? <laughs> you know, the way, that, the way he said it was the way he would pitch, okay? What, are you going to make money on that? No, I said, maybe it's my daughter, Carrie, or, or I want to keep it for myself. He said, then that's okay. And I have that photo. I'm looking at it right now. He's looking square at me. And he, and it, but that's the guy Gibson was. He was intimidating, but yet he was very 
nice to me, and he asked me where I was from and stuff like that. So that game has changed. The NHL, wonderful athletes. The game is a lot faster now. Um, I think there's a lot more um, times when, when the goaltenders um, – uh, you know, keep the play going and everything in the officials, but there's a lot more penalties for little little stuff that would would get away in the 60s and 70s when I watched, um, you know, the Rangers with Gilbert or, or even with the early Islanders with Bobby Nystrom and Osa. So, to me, um, the game has changed a little bit for, um, like, the videotaping and stuff. You stop the game, you, you know, I, I don't like it, but I'm an old-school guy. I'm 73 now, so um, I like it the way it was when I was first starting to watch baseball, hockey, football, and basketball. Dan, you referenced uh, Tom Seaver, and one of the big things you were telling me about was the 69 Mets, one of the bigger underdog stories we've ever seen. Considering how badly they started, they were really bad to begin their franchise history. I think they had the second-worst season of all time in 1964. Is there any point during that season where you ever believed they could do that? Or do you always thought the odds were still stacked against them, whether it was the Cubs, whether it was the Orioles, or whatever else, whoever else they played against late in the season? Well, I tell you, uh, I remember the first Met game at the Polo Grounds. Um, I remember going to the Polo Grounds on Memorial Day of 1962. It was a doubleheader against the Dodgers. Sandy Koufax pitched that night. Frank Robinson, I, I mean, Frank Howard in the second game hit one over the left field wall. And, and I, I started to root for the Mets because I was a National League guy because my father brought me to Everett Field to see the Dodgers. Okay? And um, the Mets, we, we, they were, what everybody says, they were well, we're, we're losers. But they had some players that were, were really starting to come up. Ron Hunt started, Eddie Crane pulled. And, and then the Mets started pulling with Hodges as the manager. And what I remember mostly about that 69 season, I was working in a, in a school cleaning school rooms. Uh, my friend Tom Leacock, his father worked in the school. They got me a job cleaning the whole school the whole summer. And you could turn on the radio and listen. If it was a Met Bay game, you could listen to the game. And what I remember in August, the Mets played the Cubbies in Chicago. And Al White hits a home run. And the Mets won that game. And I thought from that time on that Maybe there's an opportunity for the Mets to, to really um, progress and, and, and beat the Cubs. That was their arch rival at the time now. And that game was a big game for the Mets. So I think I started to look at it at the middle of August um, that the Mets were going to start to take over a little bit. They had the pitching. They had some wonderful pitching with, you know, Gentry and Seaver. And, and the money pitcher that I like, really, Jerry Kuzman. They had some great relievers between Cal Kuntz and McGraw and, and, and Taylor and, and, and you know they had, they brought back some players like Cardwell and they had Don Clendon and they made a trade and they platooned the second baseman and, and, and right fielders with Shamsine Sloboda so it, it it kind of fell into place and then I got married <laughs> first marriage I got married in 1969 and this was funny because the the the, the pastor was late to go to the to our ceremony because he was watching the Mets play a doubleheader in San Francisco, and he forgot about the wedding for a couple of minutes. So we were late coming out. To, uh, so and then I went to the the Black Cat game with my friend Tom Leacock, and then the next day I went back up to school in, in, in Maine. And then um, 
Then I came down for the for the '69 World Series, and I paid ten dollars for a ticket, and uh, set up stairs, and you know, again, getting into games was or seats was fairly easy now for me, and I knew the fans were going to run on the field at the end of the game, that fifth game, if the Mets won. So I kind of positioned myself towards the end of the Met dugout behind the coach's box at first base. Now, my idea was to take, I had a plastic cup. My <laughs> idea was to take the dirt from the pitcher's mound, put it in the cup, and then about an hour, about two hours later, I had to get on a plane back up to Maine, go back to college. So everybody ran on the field. I couldn't get on near the pitcher's mound. I said, okay, I'll, 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 I'll run and I'll get the home plate dirt. I couldn't get near there. But then I saw Bowie Kuhn and his entourage coming. They were in the stands, and they were being ushered off behind the, the big uh, glass gates that were behind home plate at Chase Stadium. And I had a sport coat with a turtleneck on. <laughs> and I said, okay, time to follow them in, and let me see if I can follow them. So I got right behind them, and I walked that long, long aisle under the stands, and Pune made a left turn. I followed him and another guy, and he walks in the, the Met dugout, um, Met locker room, and I walk in right behind. Now, I'm in the lock, locker room. I, I'm, I don't know what to do right now because there's too much yelling and so on and so forth. But right in front of me, about 10 feet in front of me, was a dialed telephone. And I said, okay, I'm going to pick up the phone. I got a dialed phone. I dialed nine and called up my friend. And I said, I'm in the Met locker room. I looked to the left. It was Gil Hodges' office. And he was <laughs> in there. And then he had to come out. And then I said, okay, let me get the lay of the land. And I didn't have my camera with me because I was going back up to college. So I just walked around the Met locker room for a couple minutes, got sprayed with a little bit of um, warm milk. Well, no, that was uh, <laughs> champagne. And, uh, and I walked up to Don Codwell, the only guy I asked for an autograph. And Don Cardwell was a big guy. He looked down at me, and, he, and I said to him, Mr. Cardwell, could I have a, your autograph? I want to do it. My friend is kind of sick, so I want to give him your autograph. He goes, B.S., it's for you, isn't it? I said, yes, yeah, for me. Okay. And he signed it. <laughs> and, and then I had to go to LaGuardia Airport to get home. But that, that year, like the U.S. Olympic team, that team came out of the cold. But uh, I think the fans were so well endowed to the Mets that year for winning. You know, you had the men landing on the moon. And, and, and people said, you know, before the Mets win the World yeah, Series, the earth is flat. <laughs> they're going to land on the moon. And they did. And the Mets won the World Series. Dan, come on, man. I thought the earth is flat. I mean, Steph Curry and then Kyrie Irving. And Shaq. Been, and Shaq. They all think the earth is flat and nobody landed on the moon. I mean, seriously, some of these athletes are so really smart guys. They're just really intelligent guys. But uh, my last question, and by the way, we are talking to longtime reporter and photographer Dan Carubia. Uh, my last question is, out of all, all these years you've been in, you know, in the sports market with reporting and photography, and I know your passion and your love is photography, is there any particular athlete that gave you the worst hard time taking a picture of them or just couldn't, couldn't stand anybody being around anybody? Is there any athlete, coach, manager, or GM out there that you took pictures of that just didn't want to be around anybody, including you? 
all those years, there was one person, and and uh, it was recently. But everybody that I met, everybody that I interviewed, everybody that I spoke to, um, were very gracious in in their time. Al Jackson, uh, Keith Hernandez, uh, Rod Gilbert, Bobby Nystrom. But there was one person I asked for an autograph one time, and he played with the matches number number thirty three. Patrick and, Ewing and he, Mr. Matt Harvey, not oh. Ron Hunt, <laughs> Matt Harvey. Mm. And and he was the only guy that that just I guess he had to do other things, but he blew me off, and that was okay too. But all these times. It, these photos are for my grandkids now. This memoir that I'm going to be writing with the help of my friend Matt Silverman, these are going to be for my grandkids. And um, I, I just want to leave them a little legacy of a guy that was nuts trying to sneak on the field and be competitive. And then people didn't know who I was, so I interviewed them anyway. If you're quick, let me tell you a quick story. Go ahead. I, I was at the Jim Bunning perfect game with my dad. It was Father's Day 1964, okay? And it was a doubleheader. Rick Wise, 19-year-old kid, was pitching the second game. Years later, I'm at this old-timers game at Shea, and it started to rain. And I was on the field. I kind of got on the field. I didn't have credentials. I had to look for people who checked them because I didn't have any credentials. And I ran into the visiting dugout. Who do I sit next to? Rick Wise. I said, hi, Rick. How you doing? I said, I was at your game that you did. You were 19 years old. He goes, yeah. I said, what do you remember? And I didn't have anything to, re- you know, to take. I said, what do you remember mostly about that game? He goes, what I really remember? About the third inning, I walked the leadoff hitter. And the whole stadium stood up and cheered. They were yelling and screaming. I thought somebody ran on the field. Looking around like I was out of place, and Tony Taylor saw that I might have been like out of my mind a little bit, and he ran over to me from second base, and he said, what's up? He goes, I said, why is everybody cheering? Is somebody on the field? He goes, no. This is the first base runner the Mets had all day because he was pitching a perfect game. So these guys were just great, and I loved it, and I'll continue to try and do that, and I thank the Tri-City Valley Cats are letting me usher there and let me speak to a lot of the Astros minor league players and stuff for many years. So that's that's a wonderful opportunity there for me still to continue as an usher in Troy, New York. Dan, before we let you go, why don't you tell the fans how they could find you and, and when's your memoir coming out? Well, it, I'm just starting it. It'll probably be sometime towards the beginning of the year. And it, it, it'll be a, a really good you know, just my thoughts on, on everything from business and baseball and how you got knocked down in baseball. You dusted yourself off and you got in the baddest box again and you might have done the same thing in business. You might have got knocked down in a business scenario and you dusted yourself off and and uh, you went ahead and you succeeded. So it's a lot to do with sports and business and baseball, friends and family. Well, I'm looking forward to absolutely reading it, and we'd love to get you on when uh, when it comes out and, and talk a little bit more about it. But uh, I would love for you to send us some of your pictures and what we have a you new we have a new app out, and we're looking for background sports pictures. Uh, you know, I would say about seven or eight. Unbelievable! We would love to put it up there. Give you credit, obviously, for the background of our new app, and we would love for you to see it. So oh, we'll give you. We would love it. That, 
that you know, sir, that is really, really very nice, and, and thank you very much. And I sincerely appreciate the opportunity to speak with you guys today, and relive a lot of times with my memories of years gone by and my youth. So thank you so much, sir. Thank you, and we're going to stay in touch. We're going to give you the audio file to the the show, so you're going to hear the interview. It was a great interview, and like I said, we would love to get some of your pictures up on our app and really uh, show off the great photography that you have done over the years. Uh, we would be honored to do that. And and I'll tell you what, when when all this is over, let me come out and buy you dinner out in Long Island. I don't mind getting stuck on the LIU. <laughs> you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. I want to do it. All right. You hear me? All right. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I love to talk sports, so love to hear some more of your stories. We really appreciate you uh, joining us, Dan, and uh, you'll hear back from us very, very soon. Thank you, Dan. Good night, shows. Thank you very much again. Bye-bye now. Absolutely. Dan Carubia, longtime reporter and photographer. Great interview. Uh, I wanted to talk about the last dance, but... The show's practically coming to an end. Um, I, I would like to thank Cynthia Freeland and obviously uh, Dan Carubia for joining us. Uh, it was a great show. We really got some good insight with the NFL draft. We got the insight of the the NHL and the the championship game for the Miracle, the, on, ice, yeah. the Miracle on Ice. I mean. It was an absolutely great interview by Dan Carubia. So if you guys haven't heard it, you could definitely stay tuned and, and check it out. Uh, we, Speedy will cut it up and, uh, and send it out to people. It will be on our YouTube and our Facebook and our Twitter feed. So if you want to hear the replays of Cynthia Freeland, who actually was a great interview, and, and just everybody. Uh, oh, we got the beef. Uh, here we go. What's going on, beef? How are you? What's up? I'm good, man. We were just about to end, and then you uh, reappear. How are you? I reappeared, of course. <laughs> Abracadabra. He's, he's back from the dead. Well, well I'm going to say that everyone is, is going to be wrong about this whole CD Lamb thing. So, And I'm going to be right, and I can't wait till I'm 100% right. So you're telling me John Daigle, who's an insider from Roto World uh, NFL, and Cynthia... Uh, Cynthia Freeland, who is uh, an analytic person, really in-depth when it comes to players and the NFL Network, because she is the analytic person that mm -hmm. really gets the numbers together and scavenges up the numbers. You're going to tell me that she is wrong about this kid? They're, they're going to they're be wrong about that. Ah, I think so. you're out of your mind, man. I, I really well, do. I think you're out of your mind. Whatever drugs well, you're on, that, that, send that, them that, my way, because I need them. Because you're out of your mind, I no, that, I, fine, I don't but... think I don't think you know who CD Lamb is. Okay, I, I really fine, don't. I, unfortunately, you'll say, mark my words, you'll say that I'll be 100 percent right. And what happens so... if you're 100 percent wrong? Uh, how about this? Then, let's make let's like I'm, let's, I'm make, a wrong, let's make a bet. Let's make a bet. So let's let's make a bet. Let's let's make a let's make a friendly bet here. Here's the bet. If this coming year CD Lamb has for a rookie season close to a thousand yards. Okay, because he won't be the number one this year, but he will he will gain number one receptions eventually by the so end of the year. What do you want to say, seven hundred fifty or more? I, I, no, no, more than that, eight hundred or more yards, or more. Okay. and five or six touchdowns. You have to come on this show throughout the show. You have to wear a wig, a dress. Uh, lipstick and high heels no, on this show. I was going to say, I was going to say, show. have him wear a lamb suit on this show. Okay. <laughs> And if I lose, if CD Lamb does not, I would have to do the same. No. 
Come on, let's let's make a friendly bet because no. I'm so sure about CeeDee Lamb, I'm willing to make this bet. I will wear a dress, I wear a wig, I'll wear a lipstick, well, I'll wear high heels. You wear dresses anyway. So. No, I do not. <laughs> what? If I Steve, wear we don't dresses, want you wear thongs. <laughs> we don't want to know if Errol's ever wore a dress, but, what experiences what those were based off of. What I wanted to ask you was, what do you think about the, the shape that Mike Tyson's in right now? And you think he, you think he's going to do one more fight? I, I hope not. I, I think Mike Tyson's an unbelievable fighter, one of the greatest power fighters mm-hmm. we've ever seen. 2,500 pounds of pressure every throw, and he is fast inside and out. We know what Mike well, Tyson. You well, don't. they're saying that he's, he, he hits like a 21-year-old, uh, and he said he hasn't lost that power. If, yeah. if they were to put something like that on, it would literally just be for the desperation of consuming sports. And it point. would be bare knuckles. It won't be boxing. He There are, there are conversations right now that he wants to enter the bare knuckles tournament. If If he does that... He has a striking chance to win, but uh, I wouldn't count on it. This is a well, guy that's fifty something years old. If he stepped in the ring again. No, I wouldn't be surprised in a bare knuckle uh, no, in a, boxing. In a boxing ring, not a bare. No, I don't. I don't see him in a boxing ring. I don't think. Th- First of all, I don't think the WBO and the WBA will allow that, especially at the age of fifty six. I can't see He's 53. it. Fifty three. Fifty. Yeah, whatever. Fifty three. When's 56? the last time he fought? Yeah, fifteen remember? years ago. Fifteen years. Fifteen yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's a long time. The WBA and the WBO will not allow him to get in a ring and put but his the, life on the line. The trainer was saying how surprised and how fast Mike Tyson. Well, that's great. Uh, you never lose what you have, but I, I don't take a chance with Mike Tyson. Iron Mike is, is, is a guy that I respect. I've met him well, a couple how, of times. How, how old was, uh, what's his name when he came back? Uh, Evander Holyfield? Yeah, not Holyfield. Um, George Foreman? Yeah, Foreman, yes. George Foreman is a different type of fighter. No, but how old was he? Uh, George Foreman, when he came out, he was in his early 50s. He was. Okay, yes. So was Mike Tyson. Yes, but, so but George Foreman is a different fighter. George Foreman wasn't a power fighter, and George Foreman was a big man. He no, can withstand the punching power. Mike Tyson is not a big man. He's just not. He's a small no, guy. He's, he's yeah. five no, foot I nine. Uh, I, I would like to see him do one more fight. I, I don't. Again, I want to see if, the guy if it were to happen, it would be something more scripted. It would be something if, more if, if, designed. If it it was something more designed right now with no sports on. They would have a lot of views. Yes, because there's no fight. sports on right now. So, yes, it would have a lot of views just because it's a big name. No, that's the only reason. I don't know how much on. of quality it would be in terms of, one, again, finding an opponent that's comparable to maybe his age or something like that. Or no, I don't no know how to analyze that, whatever it, his, his hand speed or whatever, whatever boxing terminology you do. But his age, his competition, they might end up doing something like that just because Tyson's a big name. But it really only is because we don't have anything else to consume right now in sports. Well, no, I'm not talking about it. Doesn't, it has nothing to do with the sports being on it. Even if there was sports on, I think people would still watch it. I think people will watch it. I don't want to see Mike Tyson put his life on the line for any boxing or any money. He doesn't need it, even though everybody says he's bankrupt. This guy still has millions and millions of dollars. Go look at how he lives. Go look at how his family lives. So I don't want to see him put his life on the line. So. Uh, no, unfortunately, I don't think put his on yes, he is. Say. You're going to put your 50 something year old man who's five foot nine going to step in a ring with these behemoths, these heavyweights. Are you kidding me? These heavyweights are twice the size they were when he fought them. No way. And more athletic. I guess, I guess and more athletic. The opponent, the opponent that it's not going to happen. It won't be. Bare knuckles, maybe not boxing. Mike, yeah. we got to go, right. man. All right. You got it, guys. Thank you for calling, buddy. Talk to you guys. Six three one nine six five four nine nine zero. That was the beef. Yes, beef. <laughs> beef. Uh, we will be back on Thursday below the mic. 
Uh, I would like to thank Cynthia Freeland. I'd like to thank uh, photographer and reporter Dan Karuba. Karubia, I'm sorry. Uh, and I'm looking forward uh, on Thursday for some of our guests on Thursday. Until then, this is Errol Mark Speedy Petey saying good night, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.